Well, welcome to the Hills. All of you watching online and in person at South Lake, West Fort Worth, and North Richland Hills campus, I really do hope you have a wonderful Easter day. I'm the most blessed man I know because I, for over 40 years, I've been able to support my family by simply declaring and announcing the best news ever, that Jesus of Nazareth has come back from the dead. They put him in a tomb. He was buried, but he came back. Now, speaking of things that have been unearthed, how's that for a segue? <laughs> Did you see that in Israel, they recently discovered a parchment that they think might possibly be the oldest discovered rabbinical interpretation of the book of Genesis. And I was particularly intrigued by the interpretation of Genesis chapter 3, the story that we call the fall. And here's what the parchment said. After creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve. And the first thing he said to them was, don't. Don't what? Adam asked. Don't eat the forbidden fruit, God said. Forbidden fruit? We got forbidden fruit? Hey, Eve, we got forbidden fruit. No way. Yes, why? Don't eat that fruit, said God. Why? Because I'm your creator and I said so, said God. Wondering why he hadn't stopped after making the elephants. A few minutes later, God saw the kids having an apple break and was angry. Didn't I tell you not to eat that fruit? God asked. Uh-huh, Adam replied. Then why did you? I don't know, Eve answered. She started it, Adam said. Did not, did so, did not. Having had it with the two of them, God's punishment was that Adam and Eve should have children of their own. <laughs> now, I don't know how accurate that interpretation is, but every parent here can resonate with it. Because we all know that children are absolutely precious gifts from God. And they are self-absorbed little rebels. You know it's true. I'm the father of three children. When our youngest, Matthew, was about three, he was an absolutely adorable little manipulator. <laughs> we took the oldest two on a ski trip. He stayed behind with my parents. They took him to Dairy Queen. He wanted a hamburger and some ice cream. My father bought it. Matthew wanted to eat the ice cream first. My father said, no, Matthew, you must eat your muscle food first, then you get ice cream. So he went over my father's head to my mother and started whining to grandma. And grandma finally said, just let him have his ice cream now. So Matthew started eating the ice cream first. With ice cream on his lips, he looked at my father, smirked, and said, looks like I'm the boss of you. <laughs> An absolutely adorable little rebel. And so we know as parents that one of our most important tasks is teaching children to submit their wills to appropriate authority. I call it because I said so training. And don't you send me an article by some child psychologist saying you should never tell a child because I said so. People that write those articles have never raised kids. You don't have time to argue with a two-year-old why they shouldn't touch a hot stove. You say, because I said so. And when you send them off to school, you tell them, now, you don't cross the street when you want to, but you wait until the crossing guard says so. And what you're doing is training your children to understand that if they are going to flourish in life, there are going to be times and places when they are going to trust who, even if they don't know why. 
And so you're going to do the assignment for that college professor who decides if you graduate because they said so. And you're going to do that job for your employer that does not have to explain the assignment because they write your check and they say so. And those of you that are in the military know that to flourish in the military, there has to be a chain of command. And you have to respond to appropriate authority, even when you don't understand why. And so we teach our children there are going to be times when appropriate authority is going to give you a task or a mission, and you're going to do it because you know who, even when you don't know why. And this is especially true when it comes to faith development. And that brings us to the significance of Easter. Because Easter gives Jesus, because I said so, authority. You see, this day above all other days makes the case that all religions are not basically the same. Other religions are built around the teachings of a dead leader. Now, Christianity is full of teachings, powerful teachings. I would put the ethical teaching of Christianity uh, above any other I know. But the Christian faith is not based on teachings. It is based on a historical event that either happened or did not. You see, no reasonable person, believer or non-believer, denies the historicity of the life and the death and the burial of Jesus of Nazareth. There's too much documentation, biblical and non-biblical. And so all are agreed, a man named Jesus from Nazareth lived, developed a following, was crucified by Romans, and was buried. And when he died, his movement should have died with him, but it didn't. In the least likely place, right there in Jerusalem where he was killed and his body buried, where it would have been the easiest to show the dead body at the least likely time, not 300 years later, but I mean weeks after the crucifixion, among the least likely people, no one on the face of the earth was less likely to worship a human being than the Jewish people. And so in the least likely place at the least likely time, among the least likely people, this message started to spread that Jesus of Nazareth came back from the dead. And from the very start, the Christian faith has welcomed rigorous investigation of that claim. The New Testament writers give you names and dates and places and say, go check it out for yourself. We're telling you the truth. And I would say to anyone I'm talking to right now that may be a bit skeptical about this claim, do your homework. The evidence is out there. The books have been written. It's on the internet. And I will tell you that thousands of the most brilliant minds began as skeptics, looked at the evidence, and came to the conviction something happened. And the most reasonable explanation is a resurrection. You say, well... I don't know if I'll ever get there, so I'll just hold on to the teachings. And here's the problem with that. If Jesus is not alive, then Christianity is dead wrong. 
So much of what Jesus taught, he was just wrong if he was wrong about his claim to come back from the dead. But if the audacious claim of his resurrection is true, then Jesus cannot be just one truth in a crock pot of many other truths. If the resurrection happened, then Jesus is the truth. He has because I said so authority. And that on all matters, Jesus has the final word. Peter said, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And now Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right side, ruling over angels, authorities, and powers. I like how it reads from the message. Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone, from angels to armies. He's standing right alongside God, and what he says goes. So whether this is your first or your 91st Easter, I remind you that the first thing Easter declares is that Jesus has the last word. He's got the final word over death. And see, we live in a world where the assumption is death has the final word. Death does not care how much money you make. Death doesn't care your ethnicity or your politics. Death doesn't care how many pills you pop, how many surgeries you have, or how many toys you buy. Death is never going to do what you say because death does not listen to you. But it listens to Jesus. Or at least, that was his claim. And maybe his biggest faith ask of all. For example, there's a story in the Gospels of a father named Jairus. And he's got a 12-year-old girl who is dying. And he comes to Jesus and begs, hurry, hurry, hurry. Please come to my house. You can heal her if we get there in time. Let's don't be late. Because if she's dead, that's it. Death has the last word. So they're walking back to the house. And some servants come and say, don't bother the master. Your little girl has died. And in that moment, Jesus made this audacious ask. Don't listen to them. Listen to me. And Jesus goes into that bedroom with that little dead girl and says, get up. And death listened to Jesus. Why? Why would death listen to Jesus when death does not listen to any of us? Okay, lean in, because this might be the first time some of you ever heard what we call the gospel. You see, the fundamental belief, if you think there is an eternal God, is that he's the source of all life. You don't have life in yourself. You don't originate life. You receive life from another source, and that source is God. And so if we turn from God, if we disconnect from God, if we rebel from God, we cut ourselves off from the only source of life there is. The inevitability is death. The wages of sin is death. But God loves his children so much, the thought of eternity without them was something he could not bear. And so he comes up with this brilliant plan. And his son, Jesus, takes on a human body and lives a sinless life. Jesus said one time, which of you can charge me of sin? And no one said a thing. 
See, I cannot pay for your sin. I have my own sins to pay for. You cannot pay for mine. But Jesus could pay for ours. Jesus could go to a cross and all that sin penalty that was on us was put on him. And here's what happened. The claim of death was broken. Death has no claim on you anymore. This is why Jesus could say, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. Jesus says, when you die now, if you believe in me, your spirit goes immediately to be with me. And someday when I come back, I will give you a new body that hasn't been infected by sin. You're going to live forever if you believe me. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus put death to death. Listen to the Hebrew writer, chapter 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he be set free all who've lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Frank Peretti tells a story of a father and a girl out for a drive in the country. Now, this little girl had a severe allergy to bee stings. I mean, they were very, very uh, deadly to her. They're out in the country. They don't have the antidote. They're a long way from a hospital. A bee got in that car. The little girl is panicking. That bee landed on a dashboard. The father quickly put his hand over it and grabbed it and felt it sting him. Then he opened his hand and it started buzzing around. The little girl began to cry and the father was able to show her the stinger and say, the sting is gone. All that bee can do now is buzz. And the Bible says all death can do now is buzz. Jesus has taken the sting out of death because he has paid for your sin. Romans 4, he was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. And so now, when Jesus speaks, death must shut up and do what Jesus says. And this is true whether or not the dead person ever did what Jesus says. Please understand, Jesus does not claim I have authority over the death of my followers. He said, I have authority over death. John chapter 5, Jesus said this. The time is coming when all the dead in the graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who've done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who continue in evil will rise to experience judgment. This is what Jesus claimed for himself. I have, because I said so, authority over death. And when I give the word, every grave will listen to me, and every person will meet God. And so if every grave is going to listen to Jesus then, Maybe you should start listening to Jesus now. Because his resurrection doesn't just mean he's got the final word over death. He's got the final word over life. So you're probably familiar with a TV show called Family Feud, where the audience is allowed to participate. And the question was, who is the king? And 81% of the participants said, Elvis. Now, I really hate to do this on such a special day. But listen, Elvis has left the building. <laughs> Elvis is dead. 
which means Elvis is not the king. Jesus is the king, and he proved it by coming back from the dead. Now, because he conquered death, Jesus claimed for himself the right to tell you and me how to do life. Let me say that again. Because he conquered death, Jesus claimed for himself the authority to tell you how to live your life. After his resurrection, he's about to go back to the Father. And he said in Matthew 28, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Notice, I have, he did not say, I've got some authority. He didn't say, I've got some authority over here, but not over there. I've got all authority everywhere. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Now, what's Jesus doing? The resurrected Jesus is claiming authority not just to save us after we die, but to be our master while we live. And some of you need to do some business with that. That Easter means that Jesus is not just your Savior but he's your sovereign. And Tim Keller says that's what makes Christianity the most irritating religion on the world. He explains it. Someone will come to me and say, I could never be a Christian because there's just stuff in the Bible I don't like. And Jesus says some things I just don't think I agree with about money or about sexuality or about loving enemies. And Keller will say, so you're saying that Jesus could not have come back from the dead. No, I didn't say that. Well, let's put what offends you to the side for a second. If Jesus did not come back from the dead, why does anything he said bother you? It doesn't matter. Paul was deeply offended by Christianity and things Jesus did and said. He went around trying to kill Christians until he met the resurrected Christ. And then he realized, it doesn't matter what used to offend me. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and everything he says must be true. And that's where you have to do business. If he came back from the dead, he gets to tell you how to do life. And so next week, we're going to start a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to call it the Way of King Jesus. And let me tell you right now, Jesus is going to get up in your business. He's going to talk about lust and sex and money and fear and anger and hate and judging. He's going to get up in your business because he says, I've got the right to do that. And when you follow Jesus, you trust and obey who? Even when you don't understand why. I think that's what Jesus loved about Peter. Now, we all know Peter was a messed up dude. He still holds the Guinness record for the quickest amount of time to get your foot into your mouth. <laughs> but here's what Jesus loved about him. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He knew how to catch fish. He knew you fish at night when the fish cannot see the net. And he had fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus comes along in broad daylight and says, go put your net back in the water. And Peter said, we fished all night and didn't catch a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the net. That's what Jesus loved about Peter. I will obey who? Even when I don't understand why. Because you say so.
And by the way, that's part of what we say when we get baptized. We're burying our self-absorbed, old, rebellious lives. And we're starting new lives in the way of King Jesus. I have a pastor friend. They had a baptism service at their church. A young, strong man comes and says, I want you to baptize me. And I want you to hold me under the water for two to three minutes. He said, seriously, I'm a Navy SEAL. I've been trained. I can do that. (laughs) My friend said, if I hold you under for three minutes, nobody will ever come get baptized again in this church. (laughs) Well, how long will you hold me under? Ten seconds. You know how long ten seconds can be when you're standing in front of people? One Navy SEAL, two Navy SEAL, three Navy SEAL. At six, he couldn't wait anymore and pulled him up. But here's what I love. That young soldier was saying, I don't want to just sprinkle on some Jesus. I want to surrender and submit to King Jesus. I want my old life gone and my new life in the way of my king. Because Christ has the final word over my life. Say, that sounds like bondage. Oh, no, no. Submission to Jesus is, in fact, your greatest freedom because the risen Christ has the final word over fear. The very first words of Jesus after his resurrection were, do not be afraid. And no one has ever lived that has more right to say those words. We live in a world tyrannized by fear. We can't understand a single day not being afraid. On a global scale, war in Ukraine, climate change, pandemics, on a national scale, partisan politics, racial strife, rampant inflation, on a personal scale, cancer and heart disease, tough marriage, Struggles with children. Job frustration. Could you imagine living just one single day not having one single fearful thought? And this is again what makes Christianity different than any other faith. Because it says... Look up and there's a throne. And on that throne is someone who's reigning over everything that's threatening to take you under. And he has the final word over fear in our lives. Because his death and resurrection has guaranteed the final outcome of our lives. You ever watched a game of your favorite team on replay? And you know they won the game. You didn't get upset when they missed a shot or dropped a pass. Or have you ever played a game and you knew your team could not lose? Remember how free you played? How bold and carefree you were? How courageous you were? Now listen to me. I got some really good news. You are not enduring anything right now. That your eventual resurrection will not cure. Now, you were so busy taking notes that you didn't have time to clap for that brilliant line. So I'm going to say it again. (laughs) You are not enduring 
anything right now that your eventual resurrection will not cure. And what I want you to remember right now is that the king is for you. It says in Romans chapter 8, Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. He died for you. He was raised to life for you. Right now, he's at God's side pleading for you. And yet, 40 years of being a pastor, the greatest fear I hear is that God is not for me. I'm too messed up, I'm too screwed up, I'm too jacked up, and God is not for me. Where does that fear come from? It comes from a liar. Satan's greatest victory is not to get you to disobey God. His greatest victory is to convince you that because you disobeyed God, God doesn't love you anymore. And what the scripture says is that right now, beside the Father, is a pleading son who is not against you because of your sin, but is against your sin because of his love for you. And he's reminding the Father that he died for you, that his blood was shed for you, that he has given you his righteousness, that he has hidden you in his life. And for the Father to turn and be against you after the Son says that would mean that the Father will have to turn to the Son and say, but you didn't do enough for them. So get off the throne and get back down in that grave where you belong. And that ain't going to happen. And so, don't let the lies of the devil seem truer than the voice of the king. Jesus has the final word. I have a friend named Roger who retired recently after many years of being a pastor in Arizona. And he would say the hardest season of his life was watching his son die. It was back in the 1980s, his son Jeremy was five years old. He needed a blood transfusion. The medical personnel did not know that the blood they gave Jeremy was tainted with the AIDS virus. This is before medications had been developed. This was back when getting a diagnosis of the AIDS virus was to get a death sentence. And imagine being the parent of a child you love, knowing that child will not have a long life. And so Jeremy is 15 years old. He's close to death. And Roger is beside his son. And Roger asked Jeremy, how are you doing? Jeremy, who's very weak by this point, can barely whisper, okay. And Roger said, I don't mean in here pointing to his head. I mean right here pointing to his heart. And Roger said, I don't know how he did it. But he summoned more strength and his voice was stronger than it had been in weeks. 
And he said, Dad, I'm not afraid. A few moments later, he went into a coma and he died. And Roger will say, in all the years since, as I have preached the gospel and the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus, I have been carried by the power of my son's last words. I'm not afraid. Because Jeremy knew Jesus has the last word. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and now we live with great expectation. We live with great expectation. We live with living hope. And it's not because we always know why. It's because we know who. We have hope because he said so. Hope is not optimism. Don't confuse the two. Optimism depends on people. Hope depends on a king. Optimism is positive thinking. Hope is passionate trust. Optimism says, well, maybe it's not so bad. Hope says sometimes it is really bad, but the king is really good. And the king has the last word. And hope will not allow the voice of a fallen world drown out the word of a risen Savior. I've shared with you a number of stories from the life of Joni Erickson Tata. A teenage girl, she dives into a body of water, breaks her neck, and has lived every day since as a quadriplegic. Over 50 years, she's lived unable to go anywhere except by a wheelchair. And she wrote in her autobiography, when I get to heaven, I'm going to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. Notice I'll be walking and I'm going to thank him for every character refining work he did in me and through me because of this wheelchair. And then I'm going to ask Jesus to send this wheelchair straight to hell because it was only needed because of the wreckage of sin. Now that's hope. That's faith. That's believing that Jesus gets the last word. Jesus came back from the dead. Jesus is coming back to put death to death and make everything right. And you can believe this, not because I say so, but because King Jesus does. So pray with me. So God, you know the hearts of every person listening to this message, and you know exactly what they need. So I'm asking now for your Holy Spirit to convict and comfort, to strengthen and challenge every person with the truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. All authority belongs to him. And this is good news for every one of us. King Jesus, we hope you will come soon. But until you do, we will wait well. Not with fear, but with faith 
and courage and hope because you say so. We pray in your name. Amen.